I was thinking this morning, and for some odd reason, you know, usually when I'm, you know, getting dressed or random things like that, when there's nothing else in life going on that I have to think about, is when I'll start going over what we're going to do here on a Sunday morning. And for some odd reason, I got to thinking this morning, I don't have any bad song references for you guys. I know, the nerve of some people, right? And I was sitting there trying to think through the notes that I had, and then I went, oh wait, never mind. I start with one. You ready? It's not on your bulletin. You're stuck with me on this one. We are today engaging, remember, we're still in Exodus. I'm going to say that for a while now, just warning you ahead of time. Um, I have, I've broken down and outlined it through the rest of the book. So just with breaks for uh, Reformation Sunday, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, we're going to finish Exodus in January. That's not too bad, is it? So the end is, the end is near, the end is in sight, or am I allowed, do I need a sandwich port if I say the end is near? <laughs> so... With that, one of the joys of going through something like this is hopefully we get a chance to make it at least interesting and entertaining, but we get to see the different aspects of life that are affected by God's law. So we've seen interpersonal relationships through the laws on slavery. We've seen understandings of the roles of men and women in society and households with, uh, with God's laws concerning marriage. Today, though, we get to expand on these a little bit, so we are going to engage in Youngblood's theology. Who knows the great hit of the Youngbloods? Come on, people, now. Smile on your brother. (laughs) Yes! Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. There you go. Why those songs pop into my head to this day, I will never understand, but they do. Why am I saying that? What is the problem of the world? Don't overthink this one. Sin is the problem of the world. What is one of the primary ways that it manifests itself in our world? It's through our relationships to one another, how we treat each other, how we interact with one another. What's the cure for sin? Jesus, salvation. And we just know that once Christ has come into our lives and we are saved, that we just don't sin anymore, right? (laughs) I almost said that with a straight face. I almost said that with a straight face. There you go. Therefore, even in Christ, we need reminders We need growth and we need direction. Welcome to what God is providing for his people. We'll expand on that as we go through. But before we dive into that, let's read this, Exodus 23, verses 1 through 9. You shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. You shall not oppress a stranger, since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger, for you also were strangers in the land of Egypt." I promise it's not as dry as it just sounded when we read it. I promise. (laughs) Okay, I promise to try to make it interesting. Is that better? All right. 
more than this than we realize. You shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. This is our big fancy theological term of the day, duh. As we have done thus far, whenever God gives you an exposition of the commandment, we should be reminded of the commandment. Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Did you ever bother to ask yourself, why not? Of course you didn't, because you read that and went, well, I shouldn't do that because that's what God's told me to do. Christian, just like when you were a kid, when your parents looked at you and said, because I said so, what did you immediately think? That's not a reason. That's why I'm going to do it, because I don't want to die right now, but that's still not a reason. At some point down the road, you wanted what? You needed more than that. And you should get it, because that's part of discipleship and training and explaining to you not just what to do, but why you are to do it. You've heard me say, there are times when you just, I just need you to do this right now, but there should never be a time when the explanation is not given. The same is true with God's relationship. Ask yourself, not in a sinful way, but ask yourself in an understanding way, why is this the importance of the command? And the answer is found in your Bible, Proverbs chapter 12. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Those who deal faithfully are his delight. So you're not supposed to do this thing because to do this thing would be to spit in the face of God. Why is that the case? Genesis chapter 18. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? That was Abraham's question when God was sending the angels into Sodom to destroy it. Remember that was Abraham's negotiation? What if you find 50 righteous people in the city? Will you destroy the city? No. And then Abraham turns into the world's worst auctioneer, going in the wrong direction, right? Do I hear 40 righteous people? I hear 40, 40, 40. I got 40. How about 30, 30, 30, 30, 30? All right, there. Do I hear 20? For 10 righteous people, will you not destroy the city? Sold at 10. Moral of the story was how many righteous people were there in the city? None. No, not one. No, not one. Sorry. (laughs) I know that's not what that song means, but that's what always sticks in my head, so that's why I sing that for those situations. What was Abraham's justification for this? If there are 10 righteous people in that city, the just judge of all the earth cannot possibly wipe them out because they will will have not deserved it. It's an exposition and an explanation of the character of God. The reason lying lips are an abomination to God is because God is is truth. Truth is not in God. God is truth. Okay? Understand the distinctions of where these moral categories come from. God does not speak truth because he likes it. God speaks truth because he is incapable of anything else. It is true not because God has said it, but because it flows from his character and nature. Do you understand the difference that I'm making? So what I mean is, expand this out with your attributes. God loves not because he wants to demonstrate love, because one of the base character in natures of God is that of love. Same with mercy. Same of grace. Same, by the way, with justice, righteousness. This is why the wrath of God appears in Scripture and in the world around you, because his pure and perfect justice demands that when something is wrong, 
and when wrong is committed, that punishment should be meted out. It is a necessity because of the character and nature of God. We do not declare something just simply because God says that's the right way to do it. God declares that it's the right way to do it because he himself is the standard of right and wrong, and that wrong thing violates that standard. Therefore, he proclaims to you what is good and right. Hence, he is the just judge. Hence, lying is an abomination against the true character of God, the truth as a character of God. Hence, you, as his people, should not do this. Remember this. i got to come back around. You ready? When did Israel receive the law? After what major event? What book are we in? (laughs) Don't overthink it. I try to give you the softball questions, not the fast-pitch softball ones. I mean, like the little... There you go. We said it right up there in the T. What is the Exodus a picture of? It's a picture of salvation, redemption. They are his people because he has redeemed them from slavery, claimed them as his own through his mighty deeds, and therefore they are now his possession. Therefore, because he has done this for them, they should seek to live how? in a way that honors and pleases him. Hence, he gives them the law. Before redemption, before that salvific work of God, they are incapable of keeping this law because they are slaves of their sin. They are enemies of righteousness. The reason I point that out, as my voice decides to dry up immediately, is because nothing has changed in the way that God deals with his people. Christian, What side do you stand on? You hopefully stand on this side of redemption, having repented of your sins, trusted in the work of Christ, walking in the newness of life. You are now understanding the righteousness that the law is meant to point you to. It is meant to point you in a way that aligns with the character and nature of God. God doesn't say to you, don't lie, because, you, because he's trying to take away your fun, your best way to get ahead in business. He's telling you not to lie because God is true. And his word is truth. Therefore, truth is a part of him. And you, as his redeemed child, bought by a price, purchased with the blood of Christ, seek to walk in ways that are in alignment with who God is and what he is doing. Therefore, you wish to walk in the truth. How do you do that? By not bearing a false witness. The command is meant to point you in the right direction if you are seeking the right direction. Is the pagan world, apart from Christ, seeking the right direction? No. Hence the reason they look and be like, you just want to give me a bunch of rules. No, no, I don't. I want you to turn to Christ because the rules are pointing out your sin. And once you understand your sin, I want you to understand that there's a Savior. And then once you've done that, then you will see that the rules are actually meant to walk you in alignment with God, which, because you have trusted in Christ and granted his Holy Spirit, you are a new thing, and you seek to do that day in and day out. Sorry for turning into the micro-machines guy there. I get a little excited sometimes. I should have been an auctioneer, maybe. You know, I, Believe it or not, that ties up my tongue, and I can't do. Of all the things I've tried to do, that I, can't, I cannot do the auctioneer thing. Don't ask me why. <laughs> anyway. Verse 2. 
You shall not follow the masses. We're going to expand on this. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor should you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. In other words, when all the world is running around like chickens with its heads cut off, what should you be doing? We've done this example a thousand times, right? You should be standing firm. Ephesians chapter 5. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Notice the, 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 the corollaries, the levels that are going on here. You were what? You were lost, walking in darkness, the corruption of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, all of those things. But because of the work of Christ, you have been bought from that. You have been purchased, redeemed, and made anew and placed in the light. Therefore, where would you like to live? <laughs> Once you've been in the dark room and someone shows you the rest of the world by turning the lights on, what do you keep doing? What do you want? See, I actually have some experience with this. Growing up, my, um, my parents raised white German shepherds. As a, when I was a kid, all the way through my teenage years. When we lived in Connecticut, it was awesome because at least one out of every of our litters, the highway patrol would come and grab them, Connecticut State, highway, State Police, because they thought they were, they, were the best poli- they were the best canine units. Because if you think people are terrified when you turn a Belgian Malinois loose on them or you turn a German Shepherd loose on them, imagine what happens when you open the door and this solid white thing comes chasing after them. <laughs> 85 pounds of teeth and white. They're like... It's hysterical. They, they think you've turned loose something from a horror novel or a horror movie after them. It's great. So that every time we had a litter, state police would come and get one. And my dad loved that because my dad would price the dogs at a low enough price that you actually sell them all. But when the state comes calling, you know what? They get charged. <laughs> so they did that my whole life. Now, as I got to be a teenager, guess whose job it was to start looking after those little critters? I spent... One summer, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I spent an entire um, six consecutive days with exceptional bathroom and shower breaks in a whelping box. Because the mother was such a nightmare, she wouldn't take care of the puppies and she couldn't be trusted with them. And so someone had to keep a check on her 24-7. And since I wasn't in school, guess whose job that was? They would literally, we would, we would build out of uh, to, uh, plywood too, too high, so it'd be about this high off the ground, a, a full whelping box for the puppies. And my parents would go to bed with me in the box, and they would drop off the TV guide and the remote control with me sitting in the box. (laughs) For over a week, that was my life. Now, I tell you that story to tell you this part of the story. You leave those puppies in that whelping box as long as you can. German Shepherd puppies won't open their eyes the first week. Once they open their eyes, then they'll start getting leg strength because they can see where they're going and they'll start walking. And it's usually around the two to three week mark that they're, they're, they look like puppies and they're scampering around and they're playing. The reason why they're this big and you build the box this big is so they can't see out of it. Because once they discover there's an outside world, you know where they never want to be anymore? In that whelping box, ever. So once you take them out, when they're awake, Imagine 12 of them. 
But you leave him in there and tolerate it because you don't want to chase him all around the house. Christian, you should be the puppy in the box. (laughs) Yes, this is where we're going with this. Why? Because they've seen what? They've seen these walls. And that's all they know. And they're happy here. The pagan is happy in his darkened world. He doesn't know there's anything better. He's thrilled. He doesn't know the wrath of God abides. He doesn't care about his sin. But once you take the puppy and you put him out in the world, it's like, there's all of this. Christian, that's us. We've been redeemed from sin, shown how it corrupts, how it destroys, how it ruins lives, and how it creates all sorts of chaos. We have seen the goodness of God, seen the wonders of his kingdom, seen the mercy of his grace. How could we ever want to leave that and go back? And the answer is you couldn't. And that's the argument Paul is making in Ephesians 5. Because that's the case, when you see the people of the darkness running back and forth, you don't follow after them. You stay in the light. It's one of the few times you're supposed to go to the light. (laughs) In that every movie, don't go to the light, don't go. Yeah, yeah. As Christians, you go to the light. You are the moth to the bug zapper. Enjoy. There is not death on the other end. There is life. (laughs) Don't ask me where that example comes from. That's what's being argued here. Don't follow the masses in doing evil. Because what are sinful people going to do? As I explained in Sunday school this morning, sometimes in a sinful world, sinful people will do sinful things sinfully. Who'd have thunk that one, right? That's, the, um, that's what they do. That's the masses going after the desires of their heart, the lusts of their flesh, the wants of their eyes, all of these things. They're going to do that. Christian, you're told, be planted. Stand firm. Ephesians 4 tells you this. Ephesians 5 tells you this. Um, Luke 6 tells you this. Colossians 2 tells you this. Be planted. Be grounded. Be rooted. Dig into the solid foundation. I think I just covered all those Bible verses I just mentioned. They're all there to tell you because as the world just keeps going back and forth, you're supposed to be saying, no, 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 no. That's, That's not the wrong way. That's the wrong way to go. Don't do that. Shine the light upon that sin. Staying where we are. When the sin goes this way, we take the spotlight and we do what? We move it with the sin, and we just continue. As I mentioned this morning, we're supposed to be above the fray, standing in righteousness, walking in godliness. Why? Because we've been called out of it. We know the difference. Don't you ever do this with children? Where you're like, you you make, when kids don't appreciate it because they have the palates of children. And you're like, I don't like that. I want a peanut butter sandwich. wrong with you? You know what? Never mind. You'll figure this out when you get older, and when you learn to like actual food, then you'll wonder, why did I live on, you know, Cheerios and peanut butter my entire life? Same thing in the Christian walk. We have seen the goodness. Why would we turn to something less than? Then we continue. Nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. That one verse should explain to you why our world is as crazy as it is. Because that one verse smacks of everything that the current world is trying to argue for and about. Proverbs chapter 30. Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Does justice discriminate? Should it? Now, 
You answered that according to your world, so let's ask it this way. Let me make the distinction for you. Does our justice system discriminate? Sometimes. Does justice discriminate? No, because where does justice come from? And God does not discriminate. James, too. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. See, how does our world today want to define justice? Have fun with that, right? Because there's an economic component to it, and there's a social component, there's a racial component, there's every type of component, all meant to do what? Discriminate in some shape, form, or fashion. Understand, in a technical sense, discrimination is not bad. You discriminate every day without sinning against someone. Now, if I hate you simply because you wear white shoes, that's bad discrimination. If I hate you because you're trying to kill my children, see, that's good discrimination. So when you come over and be like, hey, I'd like to keep your kids this weekend. I'm an axe murderer. I'm going to chop them up and bury them in my basement. Well, you know, it would be wrong to discriminate. So, okay, you can watch them this weekend. That's stupid, right? We can all acknowledge that's a terrible thing to do, right? That's a good discrimination. When someone is driving like a maniac on the interstate, you know, going back and forth, eight lanes across, do you try to ride with them? No, you have discriminated against that person and said, they're being an idiot, I want no part of that, therefore I'm going to slow down a little bit, let you get way ahead, that way I see the accident way before I run into it. I, want, I don't want to be a part of your 27-car pileup, thank you, I'm going to leave you alone now. That's good discrimination. The world has told you that any type of discrimination is bad while telling you that justice has economic, social, racial, and every other component imaginable. Almost like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth because the unsaved man is unstable and double-minded in all his ways. Hmm, your Bible has more wisdom than we give it credit to. Don't be partial. Don't follow the masses is verse 2. Verse 3 is, don't even be partial to who? The poor. Just because he's poor doesn't mean he's right. Just because he's rich doesn't mean he's right. There are rich people who are scum, who are trying to lie, cheat, and steal their way through life. Agreed? There are poor people who are scum who are trying to lie, cheat, and steal their way, lie, cheat, lie, steal, and cheat their way through life. Agreed? We stand for what as Christians? We stand for justice. When you lie, steal, and cheat your way through life, we say what? That's wrong. But I'm poor, and I lied and stole and cheated rich people. Still wrong. It's still wrong. We stand above the fray, outside of this. Now, are there Bible verses that say God upholds the cause of the needy? God upholds the cause of the poor and the widow? And the answer is yes. Why? Because they are needy and because they are poor? No. If you read those verses carefully, what you'll find out is they are being what? They are being wronged. And when you take advantage of the poor and you take advantage of the needy and you oppress them further, you are now engaging in injustice. God standing upon the side of justice because he is the standard of justice because justice is a part of his character and nature will say what? That will not go unpunished. So God hears the call of the needy not because they are needy but because the world is taking advantage of their neediness to wrong them. Always understand the difference. The standard is not who we think needs more help. The standard is not who we would like to see win. The standard is what is right. And if you'd like, 
You can get it. Oh, this is going to get me in so much trouble. Who wants to, see, who wants to hear me say something that's going to get me in trouble on YouTube? <laughs> if you would like a perfect example of this in modern American law, you saw it in the news last week. Did you hear, anybody, hear about any famous people getting let out of jail this week? Who was it? Bill Cosby. Now, does Bill Cosby deserve to be in jail? Yes. Did the prosecution cheat? Also yes. Because what they told him was, if you go ahead and tell everybody what happened in your civil trial, we won't prosecute you. So he waived his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination because the prosecution said, we won't prosecute you. Then the prosecution turned around and went, ooh, he admitted it, let's prosecute him. That's actually against the rules. That's why his conviction was overturned. His conviction wasn't overturned because he's rich. His conviction wasn't overturned because they liked him. His conviction was overturned because they cheated. Righteousness was not upheld. Do we cheat the system to punish the guilty? No, because that would be wrong. But what if he goes free? Christian, always remember there is a God in heaven who will bring all sinful acts to bear, either in this world or in the world to come. All sin will be dealt with, either by Christ upon the cross or by that person in judgment in eternity. I don't like it because I want my justice when. But I have to trust that I live in a world governed and run by God. So I don't show favorites. I don't play both sides. I don't pick a side. I stand above the fray and stand for what is good and right because that is where God stands. And I know that if I do that, I'm standing where God is and that no matter what happens in this world, in eternity, in his kingdom, God's justice will reign and what is right and good will be done. That ought to be fun. <laughs> Verse 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall surely return it to him. But he's an enemy. I don't like him. And I can take advantage of the situation. Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Notice the reasoning there. See, did the sun only rise, and that's S-U-N in that verse, by the way. Did the sun only rise on Christians today? No. Oh. The sun rose on everybody, good, bad, and ugly, whether you liked it or not. Vern, you have experience with this. Do you have corrupt farming buddies that still get rain like you do? <laughs> I'm not asking you to name their names, hypothetically. Yeah. If one farmer is doing everything right and his neighbor is doing everything wrong, when the rain comes, it is only rain on one guy's field. No, no it rains where? Everywhere. Oh, <laughs> except this year, yeah. The rising tide raises how many boats? All of them, unless you put holes in the bottom, right? That's part of what's going on here. That's the call from Matthew 5. God grants common grace to everyone. Therefore, if you wish to be like God, you have to do what? Grant a common grace to everyone in the world. Which means when I see 
a nice guy on the side of the road with his car broken down, and I have opportunity, I do what? I stop and help. When I see a complete jerk on the side of the road, and he needs help, and I'm able, I do what? Help him. So when little old lady, you know, struggling down the interstate pulls over because her tire blows out, you pull over and help her change the tire. When lunatic going back and forth across the highway does the same thing, you do the same thing. They don't matter. You stand for what is good and right in the sight of God. Once again, what's my standard? Who they are or who God is? That's part of what this is going on. That's why Jesus continues in uh, Matthew 5. You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, we forget that's the goal. Now, disclaimer, are we going to get there in this life? No. But does that mean it's not the goal? No. I don't always like that that's the goal because you know who that always convicts? Me. Because I'm always reminded that I could have done something there or I could have said something there. And, I, and that's part of the grace that I remember. Man, how busted and broken am I? And yet I'm still his child. I'm still a resident of his kingdom. I'm still being used for the building up of his kingdom. He still loves me and he still died for me. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And therefore I can encounter the next situation how? Fresh eyes, renewed mind, cleansed heart, opportunity upon opportunity. I keep walking, seeing the world going back and forth, putting all of this together, seeing the opportunities and trusting that again, I don't have to take sides. I don't have to evaluate who you are. I have to do what is good and right in the sight of God. Likewise, if you see a donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall surely release it with him. This is an odd little descriptor in the ancient world because yeah, how many of you have ever packed an animal for travel? <laughs> yeah, we don't do this anymore. You have to be precise about it. Like when you load your car for a trip, so like you say you put stuff in the back or you put something on the roof rack and the whole night, you try to do it in a balanced manner, right? But let's be honest. On a modern automobile, if you offload by a couple hundred pounds, are you going to go flying off the highway? No. The car doesn't just get a stiff wind and start doing cartwheels because you put 40 pounds on this side and 100 pounds on the other side. Shocks are pretty resilient. They do a pretty good job of managing the load. Animals, however, don't. If you misload a donkey by 40, 50 pounds on a side, over the course of a trip, you could have some issues. The pack wears differently, it rubs wrong, feet, the ground. And there reaches a point, this is why, um, anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? Did you, ever, did you do the, the walking trail? With, you'll notice they don't use horses for that. They use mules and donkeys. You know why? Horses are dumber, and they're less stubborn. So you can make a horse do something that the horse should not do. You, I mean, they, they, a, ho a horse is kind of like a German shepherd. You can train that dog to do things that it should not do that will be a detriment to that dog. You can train a horse to do that. You can't make a mule or a donkey do that. They will sit. That's where stubborn as a mule comes from. If that, if that rocky road down to the bottom of the canyon is unsafe, a horse will go down it because he's supposed to do what? I go down the trail. A mule will be like, you have lost your mind. I am not going down that. And they'll just sit down. They will just sit there. And that's where you get Balaam's stories. You can beat them, and you know what they're going to do? 
<laughs> I don't care. They will kick at you. They will bite at you. But uh-uh. No. No. Imagine you packed him wrong, and he's got saddle sores on his side, and he's got a leg hurt. You know what that thing's going to do? He's going to lay there until you take that pack off of my back. Now imagine you're in a bad part of town. You're on a rough road, because back in this world, you could be miles in between cities with who? <clears throat> who knows? Thieves, robbers, you know, all sorts of marauding groups of folks. And now you've got this donkey, and you've got to try to redo his pack real quick. And you've got to move 40, 50, 100 pounds, 200 pounds of stuff. Wouldn't you like some help? Yes. That's part of going on here. You see somebody you hate dealing with this, you don't get to walk and be like, ah! Not your day, is it, bud? Have fun. Hoping nobody robs you blind. Eh. You have to do what? Even if I don't like him. Why? I urge, 1 Timothy 2, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. How many men? All of them. For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, don't play favorites. When you pray for your world, pray for who in the world? When you pray for your president, pray for your president, whether you voted for him or you didn't, whether you like him or whether you hate him. Pray for the politicians you like and pray for the politicians you don't like. You want to have some real fun with your spiritual life? Start praying for the politicians you really don't like. <laughs> You'll start evaluating your prayer life real quick and understanding how dark your heart can actually be. Why are these things the case? Because again, as Christians, we are seeking to look and therefore live differently because in Christ we are different. Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves. Why should I do that, Paul? Which was also in Christ Jesus. So in other words, you want to walk like Christ, what attitude should you have? The attitude of Christ. Who? Talking about Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God does that on our behalf. And we go, but it's going to be ten minutes out of my day. Hmm... Just think about that for a second. In those moments, who's your savior? It's supposed to be him, but who are you acting like it is? It's my time. It's my day. It's me. And look, you want to talk about the one person on the planet who is not wired for this? You're looking at him. I schedule everything, whether I write it down or not. Drives my wife up a wall. That's why, that's why you see me losing my mind for my microphone, because you know what I know? There are a grand total of about three places on the planet that this microphone can be. Because when I take it off, you know where I put it? The same place every time. I'm not running around looking for my keys. I don't lose my wallet because they always go in the same place. The one time I will is when I'm walking around the house doing something, and I'll have my phone in my hand, and then I'll stop and put my phone down to do something. Now I've lost it. You know why? Because I didn't put it where it belongs, and I have no way to know how to look for it. <laughs> Just, I'm not wired like this. So when something breaks on a Monday morning, when I'm supposed to be doing sermon prep to get myself ready for the rest of the week, my brain fries. And you know what I got to do? 
I got to get over it. I got to work later, add it, do what I need to do. Why? Because when problems come up, when should I solve them? Then. I don't want to. I have other things that I need to do. Who cares? That's not what your life is about. Your life is built in the service of God. And right now, God's decided, you know what? Something else has come up. Therefore, get off your duff and go do something about it. Why? Why can we do these things? Why do you have these little conviction moments? Why can you evaluate rightly, understand rightly, and therefore walk rightly? 1 Corinthians 2. A natural man, read Pagan, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he can't understand them because they're spiritually understood. But he who is spiritual, read Christian, appraises all things and is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. Holy Spirit indwelling, changed heart, heart of stone removed, heart of flesh implanted, renewed mind, as Romans 12 would put it. Therefore, you can look at the world rightly. Again, it's the difference between being in the darkness and being in the light. It's the difference between being the puppy in the box and the puppy in the world. Once you realize there's a world out there, what do you want? You want that world. Once you realize you're in the light, I want to do what? I want to walk in in that light. Therefore, I can see, I know, and you know what I can see and know? That the light stops here and the darkness begins there. Therefore, I do what? I say no. I make a decision. I discriminate, to then use the word that the world doesn't like. I make my evaluation. I say no, here and no farther, because there's the problem, and I wish to walk differently. I can do that because I can think rightly, I can evaluate, I can move beyond my petty differences, my wants, my desires, the desires of my eyes, the lusts of my flesh. I can see past those things and live in godliness because I'm evaluating the world rightly, forsaking myself, taking up my cross, following after God each and every day. So, you shall not pervert the justice due your needy brother in his dispute. So, we don't take sides if he's poor. We don't take sides against him if he's poor. Because whose problem would that then be? Be my problem. And where would that problem be? It reveals what I desire. reveals the problems in my soul and in my heart. They get down to the core of me. If I'm willing to pervert justice to get something that I want or to make sure you don't get something that you want, that's showing a problem in my heart not yours. James talks about this. James 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? That's a good question, right? In other words, what's wrong in the world today? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Like, I've been asking God for a million dollars my whole life, and he's never given it to me. Why not? <laughs> One, he's not obligated to. Two, what were you going to do with it? <laughs> it's a real good question, isn't it? Wonder why more of us aren't rich. <laughs> what would happen if we were? Keep poverty and riches far from me. Feed me with the food that is my portion. Remember this always. Christian living was always supposed to be simple living. It's not about the pursuits of this world. This is something you have to learn sometimes in life. Are my needs met? Not are my wants met. Are my 
needs met. If they are, you know what I'm supposed to be? I'm supposed to be content, walking in the joy of the Lord, recognizing that he has provided for me everything that I need. He has not forsaken me. He has blessed me richly, and I am good. Do I have everything I want? No. You know what would happen if I had everything I wanted? Probably nothing good. Because let's be honest, if I got everything on my want list, you know what would happen to my want list? I would just add more stuff to it. <laughs> it's like, yay, look, I got something on the top of the list. What do you start doing? One thing comes off the list that you want, and how many things went on it? <laughs> yeah, one comes off, three go on. Two come off, eight go on. You know, four come off, 27 go on. It's never ending. And when we live for our wants, when we live for our lusts and our desires, we hate and we snipe and we lie and we cheat and we steal and we pervert justice because who are we serving? Us. As Christ reminds you, you are not to walk this way. Therefore, keep far from a false charge. Do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. That's your reminder of the point I made earlier. Walk rightly, knowing where will justice ultimately be found. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So that's a reminder for both the Christian and the non-Christian. I seek higher, better things. I seek eternity because that's where the reward is. That's where righteousness, righteousness is. That's where justice is. And I also seek that because the injustice of this world will be set right by the justice of God in eternity. The sin of this world will be dealt with by the righteousness of God in eternity. The injustices, the needy, the fighting, the spite, all of it is not dealt with now, but it is dealt with by Christ in eternity. And as I seek that, I seek the higher thing, and I walk in faithfulness knowing that I do not have to be afraid in this world, that that's not undone, or that that is done, or that that person went free, or that... In Christ, there is righteousness, and there is justice. The world doesn't understand that. They've lost that because they've lost eternity. Hence the reason why justice now has a qualifier. Those of you, um, ooh, I can still say this for a little while longer. For those of you that are over 40, still older than me, <laughs> I'm coming up on it quick. <laughs> do you remember a time when justice didn't have qualifiers? Because I do. We just talked about what was just, what was right, not what was environmentally just. Or what was economic, that's my favorite, by the way. Environmental justice is my new favorite. But, you know, what was economically just or what was socially just? No, we just had right and we had wrong. And you picked one and you just had to deal with your decision. The reason we've added the qualifiers in the world is because the world has said, what's this God you keep speaking about? We don't, we don't like him. We don't believe in him. We don't trust him. Therefore, we would like to reject not some of what he has given us, but we would like to reject all of what he has given us. I mentioned earlier, before communion, we lived in a country founded on these principles. Meaning, as we reject principles of godliness, we reject the principles of our own founding. I'm not saying we're founded by Christians, but we're founded by people with a godly worldview. 
who understood that there was a right and a wrong and an accounting before God. That's a good thing for a nation because where does it place the responsibility? <laughs> on you and on me. And it reminds you that there's a higher authority. By the way, you want your government to have a higher authority. Because if your government does not realize that God will call it to account, you know what they do? They sit in his chair. And any government and any person that tries to sit in God's chair is going to do really bad things in really bad ways to lots and lots of people. And if you don't believe me, go look at a history book from the 20th century. The 20th century is full of it throughout this world. That's what happens when God is rejected. Keeping our perspective is what allows all these other commands to fall into place. Keeping our perspective allows us to understand that how I walk will be determined by who? Me. And how I walk will be determined by what I'm walking towards and why I'm walking in that direction. Because I can say I want to walk towards godliness all I want, but if I want to do it Frank Sinatra style, my way, I got a second song in there, go team. If I want to do it like that, will I get where I'm going? No, I got the wrong map. I can't go my way. I can't go your way. I have to go God's way if I want to get to where I'm going. I have to go the right place, in the right direction, and in the right way. Case in point, can you go hop on 20 and drive backwards? I mean, you just hop on 20, but like, I'm going the speed limit. I'm signaling when I change lanes. I'm not running into anybody. Police can be like, oh, well, in that case, carry on. Have a nice day. <laughs> no, they say no to that. Why? Because that's not how this is done. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You have to do it the right way. That's why we have cell phone laws now, right? You can drive safely, but you can't drive safely on your phone. Because if you see you on your phone, you're no longer driving safely. But I'm fine. I signaled. I didn't hit anybody. I'm doing just fine. No, that's the wrong way to do it. Christian, there's a right and a wrong way to do it. Micah, chapter 6. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Always remember the direction of things. When did Israel receive this law? After they were redeemed. They were redeemed and set upon a new path to walk in godliness, and then God told them how they were to do it. So does that mean they weren't to bring the sacrifice? No, they were commanded to bring the sacrifice. Why? Because the sacrifice taught them how God redeems, what they were in the sight of him, and how they were to live, and it pointed them to a fuller better sacrifice. Hence the reason why you're given these commands and why Israel was given these commands, because they teach you how you are to walk in that new godliness. How do I not bear false witness? Because let's be honest, that's a pretty vague command at the end of the day. Don't bear false witness. What does that look like? Here's an example. Not bearing false witness is more than just, I didn't lie to anybody today. Not bearing false witness is looking at the unfruitful deeds of darkness and doing what? Exposing them. That's what Ephesians 5.11 tells you. Don't participate. Don't look. Shine the light. To know that something is wrong and to proclaim that it is not wrong is to participate. It is to bear false witness. The standard is better than, I didn't lie to anybody today. 
Did you walk in the truth? Because there's a difference between those two things. And that's the command that God has given you. It's not don't lie. It's walk actively in the truth because God is truth. So let's land this. You shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. We get that. Because what have you done if you take a bribe? I've chosen a side, haven't I? When I choose a side, am I objective? No. I'm now saying I'm, I have a vested interest. You paid money, so you get to win. That's not justice. That's walking in the wrong direction. Justice and righteousness are buds. They lock arms, they hold hands, and they walk in the direction together. You cannot have justice apart from righteousness because you cannot bring justice when you are walking in a sin. You cannot bring justice when you are walking in your sin. You cannot bring justice when you are serving a God other than God on high. They go together. And that's, this is why, what's the symbol for our justice system? This is part of the foundations. It's the lady holding the scales. What's, what's remarkable about her? She's blind because it's supposed to be what? I hear the evidence, I weigh the case, and I grant justice. I don't care who's on this side, I don't care who's on this side. You're not right if you're rich, you're not right if you're poor, you're not right if you're white, you're not right if you're black, it matters what happened. That's justice. That's also righteousness. I treat you how? In a common grace, because God calls me to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to do what? To love my neighbor as myself. To not play favorites. To not discriminate on the basis of anything that is trivial. But, to, but if I'm going to discriminate against a person, to discriminate on what grounds? Righteousness. You shall not oppress a stranger since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger, for you were also strangers in the land of Egypt. This is perfect for us on a communion Sunday, because I am forever reminding you that communion has you looking in how many directions? No. You're always looking in a godly direction. I'm being more technical on you. How often are you tempted during a communion Sunday to look back at the work of Christ? You should be every time. That's part of it, right? If that's where you stop, you missed it. When you look back at the work of Christ, which else should you immediately do? Look forward to the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. You shall not oppress a stranger, since you yourselves know the feelings of a stranger, for you also were strangers in the land of Egypt. In other words, don't forget where you came from. You were in bondage in Egypt. As the song says, you were once lost, but now are found. You were blind, but now you see. You don't remember that just so you can go, okay, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. You remember that so that as you live moving forward, you live in that knowledge. So when I see the stranger, I remember that I was him. When I see the pagan in the darkness, I remember that I was him. When I see the folly and the foolishness of the world going back and forth, I recognize that at one time I was him. That changes how I see them. That changes how I think about them. This is why I said pray for the politicians you don't like because it'll change how you think about politics and your politicians. 
It'll change what you think the goal of this life is. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did Jesus come skipping down out of heaven? Ooh, yay, they get to crucify me. I get to get crucified. Yay, go team, crucifixion's awesome. No, that's ridiculous. You can, you can laugh at that. It's okay, it was mock-worthy. <laughs> I won't be offended. When I do dumb things, you're allowed to laugh at the dumb things. That's why I do them. You'll remember that later. No, but in the garden, he's saying what? Look, if there's another pathway we can go down, I vote for that one. But when there's no other pathway to go down, what do we do? We follow the pathway that God has laid down. This is why these reminders are so important. Because Christian, your life is not going to always be beautiful. It is not always going to be easy. It is not always going to be smooth sailing. There are going to be bumps. There are going to be potholes. There are going to be hurricanes. There are going to be tornadoes. There are going to be buses that blindside you when they shouldn't even be there. What do you do? How should you live? Faithfully. How do I do that? By walking in righteousness following the precepts of justice as they are laid down and proclaiming sin for what it is. Because when I do that, I remember who I was and more importantly, I remember why I'm on the road I'm on now. Because when I forget how I got here, I'm going to get someplace else. But by remembering that, being called, having called to mind the work that Christ has done, the way that he has done it, I can look at the trials and struggles of my life and go, I can walk through this. If he can walk through that, I can walk through this. I may not like it, but I can get through it. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Always remember that. They hate you because of Christ. The, remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. And if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father. If, they had, if, I, had done not, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. They have done this to fulfill the word that is written in the law. They hated me without cause. It's not going to make sense. They can't understand this because how, what is their mind? It's darkened. They can't understand the things of the Spirit. But what do we do? We proclaim Christ. We proclaim his great mercy, his great love. We point them to when, where the sin is, and we explain sin for what it is, knowing what? That if the Holy Spirit comes, if Christ redeems, if they trust in his work, their minds will be renewed, their hearts will be changed, and they will walk. And it's a hard walk most days. Our message is hard for them and for us. Because for every condemnation we give to them, you know what we should be reminded of? <laughs> that the same rules apply. But the work of Christ is for them, and it is for us. It is for them to be proclaimed to, for them to turn and trust in. It is for that work that they will be judged by. Christian. It's your standard. It's what you're judged by. Who should be your hardest critic? You. 
Because you have the Holy Spirit going, um, you know, we've talked about this one. I know. I can't kick my own butt. My, my legs don't bend like that. Sorry. <laughs> we have to evaluate. I told you last week to ask hard questions of the people in your life. You know who some of the people in your life? You are. Ask yourself hard questions. How did I get here? Why am I here? Why am I walking in this direction? And how do I get this right? Because it matters. Because when you do those things, your standard moves away from you, away from them, and back where it belongs to God. And when your standard moves there, your righteousness is in the place, your understanding is right, and you can serve faithfully. Let's pray.